All right, so we're going to finish this series today. We've been at this for about six weeks now. Um, this whole idea of membership, having not privileges, but responsibilities, very much what uh, the word that Richard just gave us. And so just to kind of briefly recap, we talked about this, so this you should almost be able to give this part of the message yourselves. So the first week we talked about being a functioning church member, right? Somebody that actually gets in there like Richard was talking about and is, uh, is a part of the body. Uh, we talked about being unifying, uh, unselfish, praying. And then last week was about being encouraging. You know, this idea of encouraging one another and encouraging uh, others in their time of need or if they have run into some of the things that are not so great sometimes about churches and if they've encountered that, it's about encouraging them and helping them understand that, you know, look, we're all imperfect people and people make mistakes and therefore, um, you know, get, we need to reconcile it, but we can always move on. Um, so today is our final one, and we're talking about being um, a grateful church member. So as we sort of begin this, I want you to imagine... Um, and I'll kind of help you with some pictures, but imagine a child that is faced with uh, a ch this choice. So first of all, mom tells Johnny that he's got to clean his room. Okay, that's his first choice. All right, and it's got to be spotless. I would say looking at Johnny's room, it's going to take hours, maybe days. Anything less than perfectly clean will not do. Whether he likes it or not, this room has got to be cleaner than it has ever been before. That's choice number one. The second choice is that Johnny's mom tells him that someone has given him an incredible gift. It's all wrapped. It's ready to open. She increases the excitement. It's really going to amp it up here a little bit. But she lets him know that the gift is one of the greatest he has ever received and ever will receive. It will bring him countless hours of joy. So, if Johnny has the opportunity to choose between scenario one and scenario two, which one do you think he would choose? Yeah, I know, duh. <laughs> it's pretty unlikely, and the choice is clearly obvious as to which one he would choose. But really, church members kind of face the same sort of choice. See, in the first option, we would approach our church membership similar to the way we approach country club membership. We talked about this in the very first message of this series. We join the church to see what we can get out of it. The pastor is supposed to feed us through his messages. We have a specified acceptable range for the length of the messages. You better not exceed it. The music is to be exactly the way I like it, and any deviations are not acceptable. The 
programs and the ministries are all for my benefit. I will determine what I like and what I don't like. We're members and we expect perks, privileges, service. All right, so what then what happens when you ask a country club church member to do something? To somehow contribute to the work of the church? What happens if that member is asked to serve in the nursery for a few weeks? What happens if that member is asked to lead a fifth grade boys Bible study? I still remember when Sally had to do that one Sunday. The rest of the afternoon was not pretty. <laughs> However, she did it. She did it. Um, if you ask those questions, the response is really pretty predictable. And it's probably going to fall in a couple of ways. First of all, the country club member may agree to the request simply out of obligation. And so someone like this is really coming at service from a very legalistic standpoint. Oh, well, i got to do it. It's not that she wants to do it. After all, I'm a country club member. It's not about serving. It's about being served. But since she's been asked, she begrudgingly accepts and begins the whole ministry process with a pretty bad attitude. She's not going to last long. Other country club members just get mad when they're asked. It's like some, you'll hear this response, well, I did that years ago. I'm done with that. I'm not doing that anymore. They make ministry sound almost like a prison sentence. Still, some just refuse to offer a reason at all if they're asked to contribute. They just get indignant. Or they get angry towards us, the pastoral staff. After all, that's what we pay you to do. You are just so lazy, always trying to get out of work. But there is a second option. And it's a biblical option that sees membership as a gift. As something to be treasured. Being a member means that we have an opportunity to serve and to give rather than a legal obligation to do so. And so if you look at church membership from that perspective, it changes everything. Our entire attitude is different when we look at it from a biblical perspective. So this morning for our final uh, segment on this, I want to look at three elements of how we would be grateful church members. And the first would be to understand the biblical perspective of church membership. Now, a young man named Tom became a follower of Jesus as a teenager, and he was encouraged in that by his football coach. Uh, his name was Coach Joe. And so one afternoon after practice, Coach Joe, who had taken an interest in this young man, shows him this verse in the Bible from the book of Romans. And it says, for everyone has sinned 
we all fall short of God's glorious standard. From Romans 3.23. And he explains to Tom that everybody is a sinner. And that no one deserves salvation. Everyone deserves death instead. And he shows Tom another verse from scripture. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, from Romans 6.23. But Coach Joe doesn't stop there. He goes on, and he shows Tom that Jesus took the punishment. He was Tom's substitute on the cross. He became sin for Tom. And he showed him this verse. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now that evening, after Tom's coach had shared this gospel message with him, Tom had thought about it and decided that he was in. And so he repented of his sins and he placed his faith in Jesus, which is just exactly what the book of Acts says we are to do. Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. And so when we repent of our sin and we place our faith in Jesus, we receive that gift of salvation. Paul wrote about it in Ephesians. He said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. See, throughout the Bible, we see verse after verse after verse that speaks about the gift of salvation. The gift of Christ's work for us. The gift that says we can't do anything, we can't earn this. And when we receive this gift, we become part of the body of Christ. Right before Paul writes about some of the gifts of the Spirit, he writes this in 1 Corinthians. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Do you see what's taking place here? You received a gift, a free gift of eternal salvation. And that gift includes forgiveness of sins by Christ's death on the cross. It includes adoption by God the Father. It includes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it includes becoming part of the body of Christ. See, membership in the body of Christ, the church, is a gift from God. 
it's not a legalistic obligation. It's not country club perks. It's not a license for entitlements. It's a gift. And as we understand that gift from a biblical perspective, we come to understand and realize that it's a gift that we should treasure and have this great joy and expectancy as a result of it. So that's first. Second is by realizing that Universal and local aren't mutually exclusive. And by that, we mean the universal church and the local church. <coughs> Holy Catholic, if you uh, are familiar with the creeds, Catholic in that sense means universal. It's a small c. Now, some will argue <coughs> excuse me, that this concept of the body of Christ refers to that church, the universal church. And the universal church means all believers everywhere for all time. Now they would be right. But the universal church and the local church are not mutually exclusive. And if you really think about it and kind of ponder the scriptures, the majority of the New Testament scriptures are written for and about local churches. <coughs> For example, <coughs> the book of Acts provides a historical narrative of the Spirit's work in the churches. In Jerusalem, in Antioch, in Cyprus, in Antioch in Pisidia, in Iconium, in Lystra, in Pamphylia, in Macedonia, in Thyatira, in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Athens, in Corinth, in Caesarea, in Ephesus, in Troas, in Rome, in Malta, and others. Then look at how many of the New Testament books were written specifically to local churches. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Four of Paul's letters were written to individuals in specific church contexts. 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Even the book of Revelation has seven letters to seven local churches. What's the point? Well, the point is that it's a lame and invalid excuse if someone says, I'm going to limit my involvement to the universal church. Because the Bible seems pretty clear to me that we are to be connected to a specific church and in a specific manner. Then finally, <clears throat> we can be a grateful church member really by understanding the gift. And by understanding that it's a gift that should be treasured, it's not something that we should just take for granted or take lightly. It was a gift. And when we are really thankful about something, we have a lot less time and energy to be negative. Ever notice that? 
And when we receive a gift and we have true appreciation for a gift, we just naturally want to respond to the giver, right? So if that's the case, then we would see service to God as a natural outflow of the joy of our celebration and the joy of our church membership. We consider it a privilege to serve the king. And so we look for opportunities in the church where we can serve. And when we receive a gift, oftentimes we would respond with appreciation to the giver's entire family. And so other church members who have also received a gift of salvation are adopted sons and daughters just exactly like you. They're not perfect, and neither are you. Sorry if I'm breaking the bubble there. <laughs> but because of the abundant joy that you should have from, from receiving this gift of salvation, you serve the other church members with that same joy. Healthy church membership means that you find your joy in being last instead of seeking your way and being first. I'm going to look at a passage from Matthew now for just a moment. It comes from Matthew 20, verses 26, 7, and 8. And the context is that some of Jesus' disciples were seeking to be first and to get their own way. Does that sound familiar? And so Jesus brings them all together and Basically, he tells them that their attitude stinks. Now, he doesn't actually use those words, but that's the basis, really, of what he's saying. And then he tells them what it means to be a true follower. He says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so one key way that we express our gratitude is to serve like Jesus did, and like he told us to do. Our church, this church, and I would argue any church, would be a very, very healthy, and joyful place if everyone decided to serve and would look at themselves as being last and least. Eighty-six-year-old Joy Johnson was a veteran of 25 New York City marathons, and she died with her running shoes on. She was the oldest runner in the 2013 New York City Marathon, and at about the 20-mile marker, she fell. She got up and crossed the finish line in about eight hours total. And after the race, she returned to her hotel room because she was not from New York. She'd come in for the race. She lay down with her shoes on, and she never woke up. Now, the amazing part of this story is that Joy Johnson 
didn't run her first marathon until she was 61 years old. The only hint of the sport in her life was a verse from Isaiah 40:31, which hung on her kitchen wall in her family farm home in rural Minnesota. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, ironically, she was a career gym teacher. But she was a stranger to personal exercise until she took a three-mile walk in 1986. Then she started jogging and competing in 10K races. And in 1988, which was just two years later, she completed her first New York City Marathon. Three years later, she recorded her best time at age 64, three hours and 55 minutes. <laughs> Some of you are going, oh. I get out of breath when I walk upstairs. This devout Christian ran every day but Sunday so she could attend church. She sang hymns to herself to pass the time while she ran. According to her daughter, she said she was always a happy runner, and besides her faith and her family, this was something that she loved the most. A few years ago, she told a reporter about her exercise regimen. She would wake up at 4 a.m., drink her coffee while she read her Bible, and then she would set out on an eight-mile pre-dawn run. When you wake up, it can be either a good day or a bad day. I always say it's going to be a good day. Well, Mrs. Johnson understood that she had a choice to make every day when she woke up. And honestly, it's essentially the same choice that we have to make as a church member. There's a positive and there's a negative. We can choose to come and be served or we can choose to be a functioning member of the body of Christ. We can choose to be divisive or we can choose to adopt a unifying stance. We can choose to demand our own way or we can choose to be unselfish. We can choose to ignore prayer or we can be praying church members. We can choose to ignore the gift that we've been given or we can choose to be grateful church members. And if we're going to be effective in living out our values and our mission as a church, it's going to take all of us. It takes me being the best pastor that I can be. And it takes you by embodying these six values that we've talked about over the last six weeks. Now, I mentioned this the other night in our life group, and it was funny because I went home and um, I had one sitting on my counter, and I looked. This is um, Outreach Magazine. I get a copy of it. Uh, I think it comes monthly. Uh, every two months. 
And in the back, there's a section that's in every issue, and it's called Mystery Visitor. And what happens is they send someone into a church who's a, an unchurched person, goes into a church, and then writes a report on what they encountered when they went to the church, and then it ends up here. So in this case, it was a 20-something female visiting a large church in Birmingham, Alabama on November 16th, 2014, at 10.30 a.m. So I don't know if these are all of the questions, but they asked, um, what was it like when you entered the building? She gave that five stars. Was it obvious where the children's ministry was located and that it was clean, secure, and well-staffed? That got four stars. Did you observe anything that would lead you to believe that the church values diversity? That got five. Describe the service, that got five. Overall, how friendly would you say the church was to you during your visit? Four. Now, here's the kicker. Would you return to the church? Three. She says this, I am inclined to attend again at least for segments of the sermon series that cover an interesting topic. Now, I want you to hear this next line. However, if no one conversed with me after a couple of visits, it's unlikely I would continue to attend. So in other words, what she says in this is that people were friendly to her, but nobody engaged her. Other than saying hello, nobody went up and said, hi, I see you're new. You know, I'm Jeff. What's your name? And actually had a conversation with her. And that's what I'm talking about. That's why it's so important for all of us to be a part of this and to understand that, you know, especially when new people come in, that we need to do more than just say hello. I mean, that's good, but it really takes, you know, going a little bit further and just engaging with the person um, so that they feel like they are starting to become a part of something, even the very first time they're there. So that's, you know, why I have spent the time I've spent on this particular series, because I really feel like, you know, that's, that's a central component. Understanding these ideas is so key to us growing and being effective as a church. And I did want to, um, uh, before I end, I wanted to give you an update on Joseph. I mentioned last week that uh, I had not heard from him for two months or more. And I was getting concerned. Well, as it turns out, I had reason to be concerned. Uh, let me read you an email that I finally got this week from him. And he sent this out to a couple of people. It says, Dear friends, it has been a long time that you haven't heard from me. After a week of evangelism in Burkina Faso, where several thousands of souls came to the Lord Jesus Christ, I was on my way to heaven since January 2015 because of an unknown sickness. The doctors had done all the main checkup without any positive result. Um, he says, my stomach was swallow, I'm not sure, swollen probably, yeah, and has almost stopped bre my breathing, and I was about to die when they finally discovered that I had tuberculosis in the stomach. The spirit of death has covered me with a dark veil, but the Lord Jesus Christ has said, no, it is not time yet. 
He rescued me and gave life again to proclaim his word to the nations. I am so full of testimonies, revelation, and vision that I have received during my sickness. I am still weak because of the medicine that I have to take every day. And fortunately, I could join my family because that kind of sickness is not contagious. Uh, the doctor recommended that I should not do anything except for taking the medicine and being still and waiting for the stomach to come back to its normal position. So this is the first week that I could go out and start doing some things, uh, but still under medical control. It was so difficult at that time as my pregnant wife, Amy, gave birth to a baby boy named Jabneel. And there you see Jabneel. I imagine this was before this all happened because I think he was, obviously it's a Christmas sort of scene. I can tell you they have no such trees like that <laughs> in their country. None. Nothing that looks like that. And if it's ever snowed there, it will be the first time, I think. Um, anyway, he says, thanks so much to everyone who has been praying for us. Please continue praying for my complete healing and the work that has been stuck for so long so that we could move in God's way. So, um, doing a doing okay, but not out of the woods yet. So uh, please continue to, uh, to pray for him. I had really, you know, I'd sent a bunch of different emails and I kept not hearing back and it was very much unlike him. Uh, given that, you know, I know internet is bad and in fact he had to send this like two or three different ways before we even got it. Uh, but, and he sent some pictures of, and I chose not to show those uh, of him in the hospital and Trust me when I say that his stomach was swollen uh, and that the hospital didn't look anything like our hospital. It looked like a dorm room with an IV bottle. <laughs> so it's probably a miracle, it probably is God's miracle that he's being healed and, uh, and on his way to being better. So anyway, I wanted to share that since I had raised that uh, last week and, and did finally hear something uh, and it was good news. So we praise God for that, that uh, my friend and our friend is on his way to, uh, to being healthy again. And hopefully once he gets back on his feet fully, we can start to talk more about um, how we're going to you know, kind of continue this partnership. So let's stand. I'm not sure what the Lord wants to do today, but I know it's there's something. And I just can't put my finger on it. So we're just going to pray and be quiet for a few minutes and see if he'll reveal that. And then we'll, uh, we'll dismiss. So uh, come Holy Spirit. Lord, we just invite you into this time and into this place in an even greater way than, the, than you already are here. Just come and touch, Lord God. Touch your people.
Father, continue whatever it is you've begun as you touch each one. Bless all these, your people, as we go forth into this week. And help us to remember your message to each and every person that we come in contact with. Give us those opportunities, Lord, to be your servant. We give you thanks and praise. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.